0: Time for the NSCAA podcast with Dean Linky. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. Here we go,
1: folks. Welcome to another edition of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. This, the second of four special NSCAA convention podcasts leading you up to the 2017 NSCAA convention in Los Angeles, January 11th through 15th. I am Dean Linky, and dare I say it, can I say it? You know I will say it. We have another outstanding show. We get things started with the great Ziggy Schmid. He won three NCAA titles at UCLA, an MLS Cup with the Columbus crew, and he helped build this year's MLS Cup champion Seattle Sounders. Ziggy admits on this podcast that not being on the sideline for that title was tough on him. You will like my visit with Ziggy. After Ziggy, it's always fun spending time with Jeff Van Dusen, the NSCAA Director of Operations and Events as he gets us caught up on the newest additions to the 2017 NSCA convention presenter list. And Jeff also helps me set up interviews with all four candidates running for NSCAA secretary. They are, in alphabetical order, Carlo Acquista, Daudicante, Missy Price, and Ron Quinn. All four wonderful people. After time with them, we move to the pro game where we learn more about the NWSL with Seattle Reign General Manager and Head Coach Laura Harvey, who will be very busy at the 2017 NSCA convention. We pop to college with UCSB men's soccer coach Tim Baumstieg, who will have a session on the Gaucho Way, and he has big opinions on what is needed in the college game. And finally, we wrap up looking at youth soccer with a phenomenal take from John O'Sullivan who is the founder and president of the Changing the Game Project, an in-depth look on helping parents and coaches make playing more enjoyable for everybody, but especially the kids. Fascinating work he is doing, and he will also be featured at the convention. Big fun, big show. And it starts with the legendary Ziggy Schmidt after this message
0: the NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linke. I am Dean Linke, and welcome
1: to the NSCAA, quote, convention podcast, the second of four. Last week, we opened up with Brad Frito, who's going to be in Los Angeles. Of course, Brad Frito, everything he learned, he learned from Ziggy Schmid, won a national championship. In 1990, with Brad Friedel in goal and Ziggy Schmid is also going to be at the convention. He'll be part of a conversation with U.S. National Team Coach Bruce Arena. That'll be on Thursday. Check your schedule on Thursday for the time and place. But Bruce Arena and Ziggy Schmid together and Ziggy Schmid is here now with me to open the podcast. Ziggy, thanks for being with me.
2: Dean, it's great to be with you. I don't know if Brad learned everything from me because uh, I was not a good goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I thought I thought that was maybe a stretch, but I've been known to stretch it just a little bit. Obviously, that was one of three national championships at UCLA, 85, 90, and 97. Pretty good run in Bruinland, wasn't it, Ziggy?
2: Yeah, no, it was definitely. We had a, a lot of fun there over the years, and Fortunate to have a lot of great players, you know, that came through the program, a lot of guys that went on to play for the U.S., and, you know, a few championships along the way didn't hurt. Well,
1: you think about that 90 team, and it's, you know, you're going to forget people, right? Because you think about Brad Friedo and Kobe Jones and Mike Lapper and Joe Max Moore and. Jorge Salcedo, and Chris Henderson. I mean, like, and I'm missing some big-time names, right?
2: Yeah, you know, there's guys like Billy Thompson, who played in the league for a number of years. Uh, you know, Tate Ayani was in the league for a while. Sammy George uh, played for Chicago for quite a while in the league. So there's a, there's a few other guys that are definitely there.
1: It was almost unfair right I mean that team I mean what do you do when you when you rolled out I guess the tough choice is who's going to start right
2: I don't know if it was completely unfair but uh, <laughs> you know it certainly it certainly was uh, was fun to ha- have that talent but you know the thing we always look for is to try and you know find guys who who were all about playing the game you know who were so engaged in the game who were so focused and we were just fortunate to get a bunch of guys together who sort of uh, all had their head in the same place and all wanted to get out there and play the game and enjoyed the game. And, uh, you know, those guys are still great friends, uh, you know, and that speaks well of the group.
1: Well, Ziggy, I consider you a friend because of the time we spent together with the 1994 U.S. World Cup team where I was the senior press officer, which I thought it was awesome because here you are having this great success at UCLA, and you were able to do both, coach the – the UCLA team, and also be a key assistant for Bora Militinovich. That had to be an incredible time for you.
2: Yeah, no, it was an exciting time for me for sure. And uh, being able to do both, and uh, and being allowed to do both, was great. Sort of uh, being a head coach kept my sanity at times, you know. So I was able to go that, uh, you know, back to that. But certainly, being involved in a World Cup is something that that you'll never forget. And uh, you know, I know we have some stories from back in those days. Uh, which we can't all share, but, uh, you know, it was uh, it was certainly a, a unique time because we were going through uncharted waters, you know. We were hosting the World Cup the first time. It was only the second time U.S. had been in the World Cup in a long time. We were going through a lot of things that people hadn't gone through before, and when you go through things the first time, it's interesting, fun, and sometimes you make some mistakes, but also you have you have cherished memories afterwards.
1: And it was under Bora Militinovich who... I don't know if he's an enigma or I don't know if that's the right word. Maybe you've got a better word for him. But we all had to kind of learn how to process him and how to work with him.
2: Oh, definitely. You know, Bora is, uh, I always refer to him as the, uh, you know, for the people who are older, remember the show, he's the Columbo of soccer. (laughs) Uh, He makes you think he's not sure where he's going or what he's doing. And he's got every step of the way planned. And, uh, you know, as I got to know him better and better over all the years, you know, I could sort of decipher the code and uh, and pull out the information that was that was really there, especially for me as a young coach. Things that I was able to use later, later in my coaching, there's a lot of things that he taught me in terms of, you know, managing a, a group, managing expectations within the uh, administration of your team, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, those are all, all little tricks of the trade, but uh, he was interesting. You know, he believed in driving the car. He thought the dashed white line was to center your car. He didn't feel that was a lane. He actually <laughs> felt you could center your car that way. It was interesting.
1: No doubt about it, and you know, I like that you said you were able to do both, and then even during that time, you coached the U.S. under-20 team a couple times as well, and finally, the Allure of Major League Soccer pulled you to the L.A. Galaxy. I mean, Ziggy, you could probably still be at UCLA coaching right now. Why did you decide to make that jump?
2: Well, you know, it was it a situation that, you know, there had been some interest in going to the league when the league started in 96. You know, and I interviewed with a couple of teams, but I didn't think the situation was right. Uh, and so I declined. Uh, you know, I actually turned down the Galaxy early on. I turned down San Jose early on. Uh, and then, then, when the second opportunity came up with LA, it seemed better. The ownership had changed. Uh, I felt a lot more comfortable in that. but uh, but probably one of the key phrases that somebody said to me that that made up my mind is I asked somebody for advice, and they said, if one doesn't accept the challenges that life brings with it, it's not worth living. And uh, I felt you know, going into the pro level was a challenge. Uh, it was a challenge I need to make in order to make sure my life was worth living.
1: Well, that's well said. And one of the challenges of being a professional coach is, you know, you get hired to get fired. So you left the Galaxy, sat out a year, and then the Columbus crew comes calling. And that's a different part of the world, you know. I mean, here you are, Manhattan Beecher, you know, living in L.A. That's uh, that's a big step. What made you decide to go to Columbus?
2: Yeah, actually, nobody thought I would leave L.A. So I think part of that was the motivation. Uh, to show people that i you know that i wasn't afraid to go coach somewhere else it wasn't that I was locked into l a uh but the other thing was just the challenge of Columbus of taking a team that had fallen on really hard times uh had never really come through onto the big occasion and seeing if we could take that team into the next level I mean there was a lot of work involved, a lot of it dealt with changing the culture at the club at the time. Uh, but it was a, it was a great challenge and it was a very unique opportunity.
1: And you led him to the MLS Cup title in 2008. What do you remember about that year and that title?
2: That the team was a great team in terms of they were really together. There was great team camaraderie. We had a, we had a young team, and I know I left uh, you know after 2008 2009. They still won the Supporter Shield. Uh, and I think the nucleus of that team, you know, there, there might have been two or three more titles in that team just because of the youth and, and the configuration of the team. But certainly uh, a guy like uh, Guillermo Barro-Sholoto with just his uncanny uh, ability to win games. I mean, I've never coached a player who, when the game started, wanted to win worse than he wanted to win. And uh, so he and then you got Frankie Hayduke running up and down the line. Robbie Rogers had a great year for us that year as well. Uh, You know, so it was it was just a combination of a lot of good things. Okay,
1: so you win the cup and then Seattle calls. And did you have an inkling? Did you know that that following was going to be as ridiculous as it is? I mean, it is just mind blowing the support out there, Ziggy.
2: No, I think none of us really had the feeling of of what was going to happen. I mean Adrian Hanauer who grew up there and was you know the main guy pushing uh, to get the team and so forth. I mean uh he certainly remembered his days of watching the old NASL team and wanted to bring back that uh that uh, chemistry and 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 that spirit that existed then. Uh but I know in the early years we we kept pinching ourselves and we kept saying okay is Is this the week that they don't show up? Is this the week that they don't come? Is this the week that they don't come? And it kept coming and coming, and the numbers kept getting bigger and bigger. And uh, you can't say enough about about Seattle, the city, and how it supports soccer and about the Seattle Sounder fans.
1: Well, I'm sure you now consider it a a second home. But, you know, as we said uh, at this level, you know, hired – to be fired, Ziggy. And I know you're going to get this question at the convention, and you've probably had it a million times before. But you know, you're let go this year, and Seattle wins their first ever MLS Cup. What uh, What are your feelings as you're watching it, and what are your feelings today about uh, them winning the cup?
2: Uh, you know, obviously, there's mixed emotions, it's a little bit bittersweet. Uh, you know, it's uh, disappointing because you know, we had done so many good things, we'd won a supporter shield, we won open cups. Uh, we'd been in the playoffs every year, and, and, you know, it just hadn't broken our way. And this year, instead of Seattle having the injuries, other teams had the injuries, you know, Diaz being out, Castillo being out, Howard being out. And and the path became a little bit easier. So uh, it was sweet from the standpoint that, you know, the 11 that were out there in the field were, were the players that, you know, myself and the staff had, had sort of put together, and we felt that once that group was together and healthy, uh, that that group could win uh, and uh, so from that standpoint it was great watching them, uh but certainly not being on the sideline anymore you know it, it was a little bit tough yeah
1: well, I appreciate your honesty, there, Ziggy. This interview has been fantastic. So many stories to tell, and and now moving forward, you know, obviously we all want to know what the next step is for Ziggy Schmidt. Maybe you'll talk about that as well. And on Thursday, in that conversation with Bruce Arena and Ziggy Schmidt, I know you're going to have opportunities, Ziggy. What can you tell us about uh, the next step for you?
2: You know, don't really know right now. You know, sat back a little bit. Uh, you know, I've talked to a few teams. Uh, a couple of situations didn't work out. A couple of situations didn't feel right. Uh, you know, I'm at the stage where, you know, I want to go into a situation that I feel good about. Uh, but my time away has certainly uh, uh, relit uh, the fire. If the fire was at all uh, starting to go out, which I don't think it was, I mean, it's definitely burning brightly now. Uh, and so my desire to get back on the field and coach, uh, I, I still enjoy that part of it. Uh, being a GM or something like that would be enjoyable. I'm not saying it wouldn't be enjoyable, but it would be different. And uh, right now, you know, I hope there's another opportunity that comes along to coach because I still feel uh, I've got things to give the game.
1: Well, whether as a college coach, a U.S. soccer coach, or a major league soccer coach, you know all about the NSCAA convention because you're there every year, either for work with the, the MLS draft or like, This time around, part of a conversation with Bruce Serena presented by Fox Sports. So clearly, you know all about this convention and the NSCAA.
2: No, definitely. I mean, I think my first NSCAA convention was in 83. I think it was down in Orlando, Florida, and it didn't seem like there were a lot of people there. So it's certainly uh, grown immensely. And, uh, you know, I've been there. I think there's only a couple of years that I missed when I was with the national team and we had camps or something where I couldn't get there uh but uh other than that you know it's something that's always enjoyable you see old friends uh but it's also the opportunity to you know to observe and see things and and every time you watch a training session or every time you listen to somebody speak uh there's something maybe that sticks with you and that you walk away with and it's all those experiences uh and those additions that you can make to your repertoire Uh, that help improve you as a coach and and improve you as an individual. So, So the convention for me was always a great thing. There were a lot of great guys I heard speak there. Uh, and uh, and obviously seeing uh, seeing friends and making new friends is something that's great as well.
1: Well, speaking of friends, we know you're friends with Jurgen Klinsmann. We know you're friends with Bruce Arena. You're going to be sitting with him at the convention. Was it the right time to make a change, and any advice for Bruce Arena as he tries to make sure the USA does qualify for the World Cup?
2: Yeah, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not paid uh, at that pay grade to make that decision, but... Uh, you know obviously Jurgen is a friend uh, you know we're both from a similar part of Germany and we're very we're very candid with each other and very honest with each other Bruce has uh, has grown to be a friend over our years of being colleagues and, and competing against each other as well uh, I think they're both very very good coaches they're both a little bit different uh, every coach is a little bit different uh, you know that's just the nature of the business you know for whatever reason you know decision was made that you know it was time to make a change I know Bruce is very good at, at putting the pieces of the puzzle together uh so we'll see how he puts those pieces of the, of the puzzle together but Jurgen was also very good at uh being able to discover and and add some players you know to the national team group uh that maybe would have gone uh, gone unnoticed or undiscovered you know whether it's a fabian johnson or whether it's a uh, Christian Pulisic, uh, you know, giving him the opportunity early on. So, so they each have strengths, and uh, you know, I think it's an exciting time for U.S. soccer. The most important thing is that we qualify for the World Cup.
1: Outstanding interview, Ziggy Schmidt. Ziggy, I always enjoyed seeing you in Columbus, uh, calling Big Ten Network games. You came over to watch the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I know you're friends with John Bloom as well. And I know that uh, you'll be back on a sideline soon, one of the greatest coaches ever in the history of U.S., Ziggy Schmidt. Ziggy, gosh, what a great interview. What a great way to kick off this podcast. I really enjoyed it. Hope you did.
2: I did as well. Thanks very much, Dean. I appreciate being on.
1: Happy New Year to Ziggy Schmid. We'll be back with Jeff Van Dusen and all four candidates running for secretary of the NSCAA.
3: When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community.
1: Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. What a great way to start this special NSCAA convention podcast. Ziggy Schmid, a legend indeed. He's so excited to be at the convention. Really, we could call it the Jeff Van Dusen convention. He won't let us. He's too humble for that, but he is the director of events and operations for the NSCAA. He's got his hands on a little bit of everything, but especially... All of the convention and he joins me now. Jeff, thanks for being with us.
4: How's it going today, Dean?
1: Well, super excited. Ziggy Schmidt, excited to be in Los Angeles. I'm excited to be in Los Angeles. I know you're going to go out early as well. We wanted to touch base with you. Is it true people can still sign up, Jeff? It's true. It's true.
4: NSCAconvention.com.
1: All right. And if they do go and sign up now, I understand there's some quality late additions for presenters and clinicians.
4: Oh my, Dean, uh, that's an understatement there. If I can just read off a few here to you. April Heinrichs is going to a sit on a panel and this panel is specifically on the role of academies in developing female players in the United States. The panelists are April Heinrichs Anson Dorrance, Christian Lavers. What an amazing panel that's going to be, analyzing the roles of academies in the United States female development. She's also going to do a a field session with some of her other national team coaches. We've got Mark Parson, who is the NWSL Coach of the Year. He's doing a spotlight session. Josie Altador is going to come in and, and do a spotlight session. Don Garber, commissioner of the MLS, will be doing a spotlight session. Hope Powell, who was the former England manager on the women's side. Chris Klein, Brad Friedel, as you know, Siggy, Bruce Arena, Jurgen Klinsmann. Tim Howard's getting our honorary All-America Award. Julie Foudy is speaking. And then there's uh, Zavi Gia, who was with Man City, the German Federation. Hansi Flick, who was an assistant coach when they won the World Cup, French Federation, Scottish Federation, Croatian Federation, you name it, it's here.
1: All right, another thing we're doing today, in fact, right after this interview with you, is we are going to interview all four candidates for secretary of the NSCAA. Leslie Gallimore, who was on last week, really pushed the idea along with you, Jeff, as you also have your hand on that. All four candidates for secretary will answer the same questions. That's pretty exciting.
4: This is an amazing opportunity for the members of the NSCA to get involved and decide who is going to be one of our next leaders. The person that's going to be the secretary will then rise through the ranks of vice president and then president and then immediate past president. And this person is going to be one of nine members of the board of directors that are going to make strategic decisions for our membership. All have a very diverse background, parts of the country, levels of the game, experiences with the game. And so I, I think we've got an excellent slate of candidates.
1: Yeah, and you'll hear from all four of them right after Jeff Van Dusen's interview here. Jeff, one more time, knowing that uh, we're down the stretch here, and obviously it's in Los Angeles, why did uh, the NSCA decide to go to L.A.?
4: It's important for us to really stretch across the country and make sure that we are hitting all members and making sure that each section of the country is, is able to attend the unbelievable event. It's great for the NSCA brand. It's great for coaches to take and be involved and network and learn and do business at the event with the exhibits. You know, the important thing with the convention is it is five days of eat, sleep, drink, talk, walk, soccer. LA is the forecast is looking amazing we're excited to take the show to the west coast
1: and we're excited to have you on the show Jeff Van Dusen the NSCA director of operations and events thanks so much for helping us kick off the show right after Ziggy Schmidt you're the man doing it all running it all with a great team we will see you in LA thanks for being with us
4: thanks Dean we'll see you in Los Angeles
0: The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com.
1: Great start to the program with Ziggy Schmidt and the NSCAA's Director of Operations and Events, Jeff Van Duzen. Now, Jeff ended with the news that we will now get to know all four men and women that are running for Secretary of the NSCAA. I thought Jeff did a great job talking about what that path means, moving to a vice president role and then president and past president while serving on the NSCA board. And let's face it, good or bad, we all know in today's world and today's America how important it is to make your voice heard, to vote. With that, here's how we set up this portion of the NSCA podcast. We have four wonderful people running for this post. They are, in alphabetical order, Carlo Acquista, Daudicante, Missy Price, and Ron Quinn. Their bios can be found by going to NSCAA.com and finding the Elections button at the top of the page. We felt that it was important that you find their bio information there, and not have me break down their bios for fear of any unintended bias, because this is your choice and it is an important one. All four candidates will have an opening introduction of themselves, then they will be asked the same four questions 1. What made you decide to run for Secretary of the NSCAA? 2. What is the biggest strength you bring to the organization? Three, if you can do one thing immediately for the NSCAA, what would it be? And finally, four, what part of the NSCAA membership do you relate to the most? All four candidates answered all four questions, and you can hear them now once again in alphabetical order, and we start with Carlo Aquista.
5: My name is Carlo Aquista. I coach at Adelphi University. I'm also Senior Assistant Athletic Director there. I've been part of the Advocacy Council for the past year. I was the national chair for the Glenn Myrnick Assistant Coach of the Year Award. I'm also the college representative for the membership groups. That's a little bit about me on the NSCA side, a little bit more about me, you know, uh, from a kid growing up in New York. been part of a lot of different committees, a lot of different awards in New York. I love to bring change to organizations. I love to manage people. I love to network. This is what I'm all about. I love meeting new people, and I would love to be part of the NSC on a bigger scale to make this happen.
1: Well, that leads to the next question. What made you decide to run for secretary?
5: Obviously, the position was open. I've been part of the organization for the past, you know, several years. Like I stated earlier, I love being part of something bigger. Just coaching at Five for me wasn't satisfying enough. I wanted to get more involved in administration. I wanted to get involved in more executive decisions, Uh, and I think this is a great pathway to be part of something massive and bigger with the largest coaches association in the world.
1: What is the biggest strength you bring to the organization, Carlo? Uh,
5: it's a good question. I think I bring a, a few different facets to it. I, I manage a lot of people in my day-to-day. The networking part of being able to meet people and being able to part of changes – and executing those changes if needed. The leadership qualities of being a head coach and making decisions every day. Uh, leadership quality, quality of being an administrator and making decisions every day. So, you know, in, in these situations, you have to be able to make quick, smart decisions at times and also be patient with your decisions when something arises.
1: If you could do one thing immediately for the NSCAA, what would it be?
5: To keep bridging the gap between all facets of the organization. Obviously, you know, one of the components that I can bring Quickly, is the college part with the college division one, division two, division three, junior colleges, NAIA, all parts of it, and keep bridging the gap between us and our coaches. Keep trying to make a change if possible. I, 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 I like changes, fresh faces bring changes.
1: And what area of the NSCA membership do you relate to the most?
5: As a college coach, I would relate to the college side the most, being a head coach for 15 years, being able to, uh, you know, relate to them the most, being able to meet with them personally and have a voice with them.
1: Carlo, we thank you for your passion. We thank you for running for secretary, and we thank you for all you do for the NSCAA.
5: Thank you for your time. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Carlo. Up next, Douda Conte.
6: I'm Douda Conte, originally from Mali. I came in at the age of 16, and I went to some. St. Benedict Prep in New Jersey, and then went to FIU Flora International. Got drafted to play for Miami Fusion and D.C. United, the New England Revolution. And I also represent Mali in the African-Asian Cup, World Cup. And also last year, I was nominated national coach of the year for NCAA.
1: And what made you decide to run for secretary?
6: To be very honest, at first, it was brought to my attention by friend of mine who thought my soccer background could help. The NSCAA in that aspect, so I chose to run it and so I can make an impact in soccer in the U.S.
1: What would you say is the biggest strength you bring to the NSCAA?
6: I think to me, I think my experience, you know, playing a professional level and play in a lot of different places in Europe, Africa, and all this stuff, so I can bring that mind where soccer is in other countries and so I can bring that diversity. And also my background and professional levels, I can I can bring that. So I'm very passionate about the game, and the game has been good to me. And my job is I want to give back to the game. And to me, that's my. This could be the way for me to give back to the game, who's been good to me.
1: And if you could do one thing immediately for the NSCAA, what might it be?
6: You know, to be honest, I don't know what issue is in there. And to me, I like the concept of the coaching education. I like the concept of a convention changing idea. But to me, I don't know what issue they face first us. So when I get there and I learn about those issues so we can prioritize those those issues and and working on it.
1: And what area of the NSCAA membership do you relate to the most?
6: I relate to a different uh, youth level, very passionate about the game, and I think we can do a better job in a youth coaching education aspect. The coaching aspect of the youth, and also the youth, in how can we better our youth? players.
1: Thank you so much for sharing your passion for running for secretary and all you do for the NSCAA.
6: Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Douda. Up next, Missy Price.
7: I'm Missy Price. I'm currently the head soccer coach at Wellesley College, which is outside Boston, Massachusetts. And um, I've only been here for a short time. My path has been mostly in college coaching. I recently was the head coach at the University of Nevada, and prior to that, I've been at several different places like the University of Miami, University of Illinois, and and this whole coaching gig started for me at at the University of Virginia a long time ago. What I also think is important about myself is I have a Ph.D. in sports psychology, and and I've sort of found this career where I can merge two of those passions. One is coaching, being on the field, my passion for the game of soccer, the excitement I get, working with my players, teaching the game, winning, (laughs) winning. Uh, the fun that comes with that, but also being a professional in sports psychology with an emphasis in, in coach and athlete leadership development. And it's a lot to who I am because that's kind of where I've merged my career, like I said, in a place where I can be a coach educator, not just in the world of soccer, actually, but to all coaches.
1: So what made you decide to run for secretary of the NSCAA?
7: So my coaching career started, like I said, at the University of Virginia, and one of my mentors is April Heinrichs. Uh, she was my college coach at the University of Maryland, and uh, she she went on to be the head coach at Virginia, and, and I went on to work with her. That was my first sort of full-time run at this coaching thing. She was great. She sat me down when I said, April, you know, what do I need to do to be a coach? She was like, well, there's this organization, and it's called the NSCAA, and this is what it does. and you need to get some coaching education and you need to develop and invest in yourself. That was 1997. That's when I first knew that this was something that I needed to be involved with. I didn't know what it was going to turn out to be. I didn't know why it would why I would want to run for secretary, but over time and over experience and going to conventions and meeting people along the way and engaging in my education and wanting to be part of the association, more than just having a membership, but being an active member has driven me to this point. I've been active on the women's committee, which is now the women's coaches community. been an active member in that group and trying to contribute to the goals and missions of that specific group within the NSCAA. By being kind of in that or part of the organization, I really said, what's a way for me to continue to help push the NSCAA into the next 75 years, into the future? That was my motivation.
1: So what's the biggest strength you bring to the
7: organization? I think outside the box. I have the ability to kind of listen and take in information from all different groups of people and kind of say, wait a second, how can we all achieve the goals that we want to achieve? How can we we all come to a consensus and problem solve this? I think I'm pretty good with ideas and consensus and bringing groups together and and thinking about solutions, thinking about advancements, thinking about how can we do this differently? Sometimes not just asking why, but why not do that? I have the, the courage and the capacity to do those things.
1: If you could do one thing immediately for the NSCAA, what would it be?
7: The greatest thing that I would love to be able to do, almost in a dream big sort of platform here, I know there's a lot of moving pieces that would have to go into it, but I would love to make the educational piece of the NSCA, which is what's largest part of its mission, is to even make that more accessible to all groups of coaches across all levels. My career has been primarily in the college game, with obviously some exposure and, and influence in the youth game. But I think there's grassroots coaching all the way up to our professional level, and it's all related. And I think we all know that. And so how can we make educational opportunities in their simplest form to their most complex more accessible, more engaging? And more readily available to all of our members, whether that's those that financially couldn't afford it uh, or have time constraints around attending courses. Um, So it's coming up with an answer or solution or uh, an access point in order to expand the educational opportunities for our membership.
1: And what area of the NSCA membership do you relate
7: to the most? Um, I think I relate mostly to the college area in that that's been where I have spent most of my career. What I love about the college aspect is that you're connected to the youth game in so many ways, and not just through recruiting. Doing, you know, whether it's local clinics in your your town or your city, or working for your state organization in some way, shape, or form, assisting with all sorts of levels of, again, grassroots uh, up to club and other aspects of the youth game. So for me, you know, it's been about connecting to my college colleagues, I would say the most. But I think my impact is greater than that. And I and I think that's where making that connection with youth and college and even some of the, the pro aspects really helps me find that consensus that I think is one of my strengths.
1: Dr. Missy Price, thanks for your passion. Thanks for running for secretary. And thanks for all you do for the NSCAA. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Missy. Up next, Ron Quinn. My
8: name is Ron Quinn, and I'm an associate professor at Xavier University in the Department of Sports Studies. I've been a 40, I think almost now a 40-year member of the NSCAA. I also direct and I've developed and direct the online graduate program in coaching education and athlete development. I've been a collegiate soccer coach at Xavier as well as at Allentown College of St. Francis de Sales. And I've coached high school boys and girls for probably 20 years as well. And I currently coach the girls' soccer team at Seton High School in Cincinnati.
1: Now, what made you decide to run for secretary of the NSCAA?
8: Well, I felt that it was just um, really time for me to, I, as I said, I've been a member, or I believe this is my, my 40th year i, I I think of my first year was uh, my first year of teaching in 1976. I've known uh, an incredible number of of individuals through the NSCA, and in some way I feel as if I've kind of grown up through the NSCA. And I just felt that it was really my my time to begin to give back. I've been a member of the editorial board and other various uh, committees, but I thought also that I've had some in- incredible mentors in John McKeon and Tom Fleck, and I felt that it was really time to really honor, honor their legacy and, and sort of take my turn.
1: What is the biggest strength you bring to the organization?
8: What I have is an overall perspective. In some way, I was there at the very beginning, when Kramer first started with the Federation, with the coaching education, I went through one of the very first courses with them. I was there at the beginning of the NSCAA Coaching Academy. So I've seen all of these changes and growth, incredible growth with the NSCAA over the years, and I've been very proud to be, have been a, a part of that. So I think one of the things that I have an overall kind of perspective, because I've, I've experienced it, in the last 40
1: years. If you could do one thing immediately for the NSCAA, what would it
4: be?
8: There's really a, a couple of things. I think, one, I think the, the NSCAA is now positioned to really become a, a, a leader in, you know, coaching development, coaching education, athlete development. And in order to do that, I believe that they need to start doing their own research, you know, and and engage the association in that. And not just doing research for the sake of research, but research to solve You know, real problems. And I think the other area is to continue some of the the very good work that the NSC is doing in underserved communities, particularly not only the urban areas, but also. In the rural areas of the United States,
1: what area of the NSCAA membership do you relate to the most? Mm.
8: Well, I've been—I've been actually in some way—I've been in all the all the categories at some point in time. I'm coached at the collegiate level for a total of seventeen years, and at the high school level for now almost, I think, a little over twenty years. So I think I, I relate to all of those as well as my involvement throughout my entire career in youth coaching education. So. I think I have the ability to in some way to appeal and to relate to all of those groups, even at Xavier, also i'm I'm also on the uh, like gender and diversity committee, our diversity core requirement committee so i I think that I have the ability to relate to a A wide range of constituency and stakeholders within the NSCAA.
1: Ron Quinn, thank you for your passion. Thank you for running for secretary and thank you for all you do for the NSCAA.
8: Thank you very much, Dean. It's an honor to be on the ballot this year.
1: And thank you, Ron. For more information on all four candidates, again, visit NSCAA.com and click on the Elections button at the top of your screen. Coming up next, we move to the professional level and feature the NWSL and Seattle Reign General Manager and Head Coach Laura Harvey, who will be very busy at the 2017 NSCA convention. It's Laura Harvey next after this message
0: the NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linke.
1: Welcome back to the NSCAA convention podcast. Dean Linke with you having a great time today. Big time visitor Ziggy Schmid former coach for the Seattle Sounders with us and speaking of Seattle we're now joined by the head coach of the NWSL Seattle Reign and that's Laura Harvey Laura thanks for being with us
9: Morning no problem
1: Did you ever get to spend any time with Ziggy during his time in Seattle
9: I did a little bit yeah I went to a couple of things that he spoke at and uh, we chatted of quite a few times
1: Well it's a pleasure to have you on the program and you're going to be very involved at the 2017 NSCA convention in Los Angeles dedicating quite a bit of time. Tell us uh, why you made that decision.
9: I've been going to the convention now for four years and um, gradually been getting more involved with the um, convention as much as I can. Um, and this year doing a on-field session um, and then being on a panel talking about women in sport um, and then also uh, talking with the Under 30 program. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's a great event Um I think it's something that is unique to the states in regards to how big it is, um, but there's no there's no secret of its success because it attracts such great uh, presenters. Um, and then, obviously, anyone who goes and buys a ticket and gets to go and watch, I think, will learn a lot.
1: You're hearing the wonderful accent of Laura Harvey, head coach of the Seattle Reign of NWSL, had a great career at England, U-17, U-19, U-23, and then managed at Birmingham City and then Arsenal before coming over to the NWSL. And, you know, with Seattle Reign, I mean, you've just got an extension through 2020, so clearly they love your work. You're also the general manager. Talk about uh, the status right now of NWSL. How are you feeling about things?
9: Yeah, I think the club's in the club's in a really good position and the league's in a fantastic position. I think the fact that we broke that four year barrier last season was a huge step in the right direction. Um and we're just building on that as a league I think. Trying to improve standards every year on and off the field. Trying to give the players what we deserve we think they deserve, both financially but not just about money about everything to do with being a professional athlete now that we're in season five coming up in in 2017 as a group of coaches and um, office staff that's our priority is just to push the league on every year to make sure that the standards that we set on the field and the product we put on there is a good standard and and I feel that ourselves at the rain we're part of a big big part of that that we've really put a good product on the field over the last Three seasons, especially, um, and we want to keep doing that in 2017.
1: Yeah, the product's amazing, and one of the ways to keep it amazing is to also attract the best players from across the pond. That's got to be an important mm-hmm. mission as well, right, Laura?
9: Yeah, I mean, every club has different a different strategy when it comes to recruiting players. Um, that's definitely a strategy that I've used at the Rain is trying to go overseas and have a look at what players I think can fit the American style and. Fit this league and and be successful here and and the players that we've brought over have been have been that they've been successful they've changed the dynamic of our team um, and I think changed the dy- dynamic of the league a little bit. Um, it's not to say that the American players aren't good enough because they definitely are, but when you complement them with some of the best players around the world that's why this league's the best league in the world. It is, without doubt, the most competitive league in the world. Um, and we want to keep it that way. So yeah, attracting the best players and getting them over here and showing them what it's like to play in America is a big thing. And for a lot of people outside of the States, playing in America is is probably one on their bucket list. So if we can provide that for them, then um, I feel, feel like we have a good chance of getting some of the best players.
1: So Laura, I'm proud to say that I was the voice of the Carolina Courage the three years that they were in North Carolina. Marsha McDermott, who will be honored at the NSCA convention was the head coach of that championship team in the second season and then also I was the voice of the Chicago Red Stars the first year Marcia McDermott was the GM there and we're starting to hear news kind of matriculating out that North Carolina could have a team maybe even as early as this year Wake Med Soccer Park I mean I know you've got a great venue up there in Seattle but I'm telling you Laura it could be the best venue in the league how great would it be to have an NWSL team in North Carolina?
9: Yeah, I think the the league attracting new franchises is always something that shows the league has got strength behind it. Um, and yeah, I, I'll be honest, the only thing I know about the North Carolina franchise is what I've seen on social media. So I really hope that it's true and I hope that it comes to fruition. And um, the fact that people want to be part of the league is the biggest attribute that we can sell that, people want to be part of it. And whether that be in North Carolina or anywhere else across the United States, I think that's a big, big sell for us is that, yes, we've had some troubles and, yes, it's been a tough time going through some of these seasons, but we're on the up and we want to keep pushing forward. And having a new franchises, especially like a place like North Carolina with such great history with women's soccer, I think is just a testament to where the league's going. Um, and, yeah, I'm I'm all for pushing the league on and getting as many clubs in as possible so that we can keep these products as high as we possibly can.
1: All right, going back to the convention to wrap it up, we know you're on the panel to talk about the growth of women's soccer, but your field session, what do you plan to break down there, Laura?
9: I'm doing a session on midfield movement, support and balance. Um, I'm doing it in relation to playing in a 4-3-3 with a three-player midfield. It's something that at the Reign we've done over the last four seasons definitely had uh, the predominant formation of a 4-3-3 and used three midfielders. So thought it would be something that uh, would be really relevant if people were looking at how we play as a club. And it's something that I enjoy coaching. Um, it's an attacking topic, but it will also have an element of defending within it. And having been to the convention quite a few times, you have to pick your topic in the session you want to do carefully. because the size of the field and all that stuff can be a little bit tight. So I think this session will fit that type of um, environment. I think it will be good for some of the youth coaches who come out there who have restricted amount of space sometimes when they're coaching, that they can actually get out a relatively important aspect of team formation and team play within a relatively small area. So. I hope it will be useful
1: for people. What a brilliant breakdown. Laura Harvey, just 36 years young as well, signed through 2020. A bright future ahead of her, general manager and coach with the Seattle Rain. Delighted to have you on, Laura. Thanks for being on. We had heard that you might be on the ski slopes. We weren't going to be able to get you. We're glad we did. <laughs> and uh, listen, Happy New Year to you, and we'll see you in Los Angeles.
0: Yeah,
9: Happy New Year. See you then. Can't
0: wait. Thank you. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game.
1: We're rolling along here as part of the NSCAA Convention Podcast, the second of four leading right up to our time in Los Angeles. Great show already. Ziggy Schmid getting it done. All four candidates running for secretary. Jeff Van Dusen, Laura Harvey, the head coach of Seattle Rain, and now it's time to move to the college game. And I'll tell you, Tim Vomsteeg what a job he's done at UC Santa Barbara. Just completed his 18th season, won a national championship in 2006. And Tim, I got to admit, I get caught up being a broadcaster now for the Big Ten Network in the big crowds at Maryland. I do, and sometimes I forget about the tortillas flying out in gaucho land, and you've got an argument for the best environment as well for college soccer, don't you?
10: No, definitely. I mean, I think it starts with the fact that we have really the only stadium, soccer-specific stadium in college soccer. There's other complexes. And again, Maryland does the best that it can. Anywhere where people come and draw is great for college soccer. But in terms of our setup, you know, we have a basically a 16,000, 17,000-seat stadium. And uh, football was uh, taken away uh, from UCSB back in the... Uh, late 90s and early 2000s, and when football was taken away, then here we have this 16,000-seat stadium, and we've been working over the past 18 years to turn it into a soccer-specific facility, which which we have.
1: It's a great facility. We called several games back in the days of the NSCAA Game of the Week on Fox Soccer and also on NSCAA-TV. Love love being out in Santa Barbara, and Tim Baumstieg is on, not just because of that, but because he's going to run a session, and he had to, right? The convention's in Los Angeles. He's down the road in Santa Barbara, so he's going to be in Los Angeles to tell us about the Gaucho Way and you won't want to miss it because here's one thing they play some soccer at UC Santa Barbara talk about your session I believe it's Thursday morning 10 a.m. right Tim
10: I was fortunate uh, a few years ago to be asked to lead a session I believe it was back in Baltimore probably eight or nine years ago and looking forward to sharing some additional thoughts over the years in terms of trying to grow and develop the college game every campus as we know is unique in terms of what they have to offer and their commitment ability to get into the community. I think our success at UCSB and what I kind of spoke about eight or nine years ago was developing the Gaucho program or soccer program through grassroots, done a very good job of that, obviously, in terms of our attendance. I think we've also worked really hard to develop what we would call rivalry games. You know, the game against Cal Poly is is exceptional. We've now developed a a nice kind of relationship in terms of the UCLA game. So we've done certain things, but I think what's interesting for me, you know, talking about where, where everything goes, college soccer is in a big state of change, in my opinion, and I think we have to work even more. We have to work even harder at keeping ourselves relevant, and obviously when people come to your games, when, when your event is on TV, it, people automatically assume that You know, it's important and relevant. And I think we are really trying to fight for ourselves here in college soccer, trying to carve out that niche, uh, which we had for a long time, but I think has really been encroached on in terms of the way the the whole pro game's gone and and youth soccer's gone. A big part of my conversation is how we've looked at the changing environment and what we can do at UC Santa Barbara to help college soccer.
1: Well, Sasso Swarovski and several coaches, uh, Bob Buthorn who have come on this program have uh, trumpeted that and particularly the notion of a full academic soccer year as well. Give me your take on that and then also how that ties into what was kind of, well, not kind of, a definitely a big disappointment in Houston for the College Cup.
10: And I don't want to say it's a mistake, but I think it, the, the two items you just mentioned are both, in my opinion, the two most important aspects of college soccer in terms of change. But to me, they run on parallel tracks. The national championship, the College Cup, is is one track, and the other track is trying to do something about our our playing season. Again, both of those tracks lead you to, you know, becoming more relevant, becoming more important, becoming more insignificant. In terms of the full-length season, it's just really, really critical that we are playing at the same time as the pro game. People don't necessarily want to talk about that part of it, because I think the winning argument is always going to be our student-athlete welfare. We just came back from our league meetings uh, last week. Big West League meetings, and you know we voted to make some changes to our schedule because we were playing our ten conference games in twenty-eight days, and we all know conference games are are just wars out there. You get done playing twenty-eight, you know, twenty-eight days, you play ten conference games. Our our teams are just done. Our players are beat up. They're tired. They're hurt. The idea of being able to expand the season, be able to give our athletes the opportunity to to actually train and practice and get ready and, and get ready for a big game on Saturday, and. That can really only happen if we're able to expand the season. Right now, obviously, as everybody knows, we're stuck in a calendar school calendar setup where you know we start when school starts in the fall and we have to end before Christmas. And when you're stuck to that calendar, of which the last six weeks are pretty much covered in snow, you're limited. That's obviously a, a big push for us, being able to expand the season and, and, and improve our game. The, the second part you mentioned is the one I'm actually... You know, obviously, really passionate about 2010. We hosted the College Cup here at UCSB. I thought it was a great event. I thought it went very well. We have put in a bid uh, for the next cycle, but the College Cup is—if you flip on TV of any NCAA championship, whether it's baseball or football or basketball—you know, you, you, you just assume that the Rose Bowl is full, or you just assume that you know, the College World Series, the championship game, it's full, it's packed, there's energy, there's lots of people, and we have to think back to Santa Barbara and maybe a little bit of carry, where we've actually looked out there, and the atmosphere has been fitting of a you know of a championship game.
1: You're hearing the voice of Tim Vom Steeg. He will be featured at the 2017 NSCAA convention in Los Angeles, the Gaucho Way. And Tim, I can't let you go talking a little bit about the Gaucho Way because uh, let's face it, there's a little bit of fire and ice with that entertainment. You won that national championship. You were there in 2004. You bring some great international players. It is attractive soccer. But then every once in a while, there's some red cards as well. I feel like that's been toned down a little bit, but I'll let you address that because there is that fire and ice that's part of the Gaucho way.
10: In order for us to basically go from, I mean, when I took over at UCSB out of 200 Division I schools, we were 198. The, the year I was inheriting, the team was 2-17. and 17. When you go recruit players with that kind of record, and uh, in, in 35 years, we had never made the NCAA tournament. There was no history there. There was, I mean, the program was dead, and, you know, what you do is you recruit the kinds of kids who we used to always call them the second chance kids, because these were kids that just got bypassed by the other programs. And those kids naturally have an edge to their game. They're a little bit upset. They're not happy about the fact that they got missed or or bypassed or someone else got the opportunity they didn't. So, you know, that whole phase of, you know, the early 2000s when we were trying to actually get ourselves on the map, it wasn't a matter of trying to recruit those kids. Those were the kids that were available to us. It it kind of set the tone to how we played. And, and I, I didn't, I, again, I go back to almost missing the days where I walked into the locker room and I never ever had to say to a team, you know, hey, we got to play harder. We need to do these things. We're not giving enough for... I mean the, those are those are today's conversations with a different kind of player back in those days. you know you had to tone those guys down
1: before I let you go. I gotta talk about the rest of the bomb sticks because kind of reminds me of sound of music in fact, but a different <laughs> kind of sound of music that big time athletes you've got your son who went to Santa Barbara, I believe was it one or two years now he's over in Germany, the land of goalkeepers, and now yeah. Carson, who is graduating he's not going to Santa Barbara he's going to Stanford T- tell me how that happened
10: all my children have been born in Santa Barbara and uh Justin from the very outset wanted to be a pro player and and we we fought to have him you know stay and go one year at least to school and we graduated him early and we, we did the best we could and uh, our arrangement was you know you have to at least try college and and see how that goes and of course as soon as the season ended Justin was packing his bags and saying, I'm going over to Germany. Uh, but Carson is, is a little different. He's, uh, I don't want to say he's more academic, but, you know, he's more of a college kid and, and uh, doesn't have the dream of, you know, going over to necessarily to Germany and trying to play professional soccer at age 19. So back when he was a sophomore, I sat down with him and I asked him, you know, the, the schools that he would be maybe interested in going to besides, obviously, his father's school you know, Stanford was at the top of his list. And so I reached out to uh, Jeremy and actually John Smith, who's who's now coaching back East. John Smith was their number one recruiter. And I said, uh, my son is, uh, you know, really good, really good soccer player. And uh, he's interested and tell me what you guys think. So they came and saw Carson play three or four times. And I think within three months, they brought him up there and basically rolled out the carpet for him and gave him a really nice offer in terms of Obviously, Stanford's an expensive school. I think, in a way, it's healthy to, to, you know, if you grow up and spend your whole life in town, I think it's healthy to, to experience something else. That's kind of how it happened. Now, obviously, since Carson's commitment, he's really taken off in terms of soccer and the national team and has played well and he's got a lot of opportunities. And so I think there was a little bit of a concern that, you know, maybe he follows in his brother's footsteps. And so we've had to kind of quell that. I mean, as I said, Carson is he's different than my oldest. So I, I don't any reason why he wouldn't be heading up in the fall, and obviously since Carson committed, he they've won two national championships, so he's got a little bit of pressure on him now.
1: Yeah, the rich but, get uh, richer, indeed. I, I consider that uh, extremely noble, both uh, for you and and your wife. That just is uh, amazing, and I'm so glad we were able to. Talk about that as uh, Steeg will be playing at Stanford. Now, real quickly, will he be playing against Santa Barbara? Do you got him on the schedule at all?
10: We played Stanford last year, not not this fall, but a year ago. We are scheduled to go back up to Stanford, not this fall. So it would be Carson's sophomore year that we're scheduled to go up and play Berkeley and, and Stanford in 18. We'll probably do a return in 19. So uh, we'll definitely be uh, playing against them, which will be an interesting um, <laughs> G:, there's wow, been a lot of interesting things as you can imagine. I you know, coaching my son last year was was interesting. <laughs> to say the least, you know, at the college level, potentially your coaching against my other son would, you know, would be an interesting experience. Again, I think it's very important that, uh, you know, each one of your kids is, is going to, you know, kind of have dreams and aspirations and what they want to do. And within some sort of boundaries here, we've tried to kind of, you know, share with what we think might be the next move. And then without, you know, keeping them from doing what they really want to do, it's worked out fine so far. And I've got two more and, you know, those two... Uh, we'll see. They're they're also both very good. So,
1: <laughs> wow! Incredible so, uh, layers. Outstanding. Great stuff. Big-time personality in college soccer. Tim Bob Steeg The Gauchos. They're throwing tortillas in support of their team. And, well, you mentioned that fire and ice. So much fun to watch. I'll tell you, Tim, I'd do anything to get back there just one more time. Bring back Fox Soccer. Bring back the NSCA Game of the Week. And let's rock and roll with a game against Cal Poly or UCLA. That'd
10: be great. That'd be fun.
3: When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching
1: community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. What an outstanding show we've had today. We started with Ziggy Schmidt, then we moved over to Jeff Van Dusen, who's running the show at the convention. You're able to meet all four candidates running for secretary as well. We moved to the college game, Tim Bob Bobstieg. How about Laura Harvey, head coach of Seattle Rain, covering the professional game? And we end with youth soccer, a man who is making a difference. And on Thursday, you are going to want to attend this session. It's 9.30 to 10.30 CC408A, How the Player Development Pathway Falls Short and How to Fix It. And leading that panel is John O'Sullivan, the founder of Changing the Game Project. I'll repeat that, Changing the Game Project, because if you go to www.changingthegameproject.com, it'll blow your mind. And John O'Sullivan joins us now. John,
11: thanks for being with us. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
1: Okay. So let's say I'm not at my computer right now. If I did go to changing the game project, what would I see? Because it's fascinating. I am there, but I want to hear it from your mouth, John.
11: Well, basically, this is an organization that I started a couple of years ago after a lot of years in coaching, right? And I had been coaching at every level when I, you know, when I stopped playing from high school to uh, assistant college coach to the, the youth level, and I, I found that you know most of my colleagues in the coaching world were dealing with the same issues um uh, you know, helping to engage parents so that the parents help their teams out. And then also, you know, how do we mentor and how do we bring through young coaches and, and get our coaches to buy into the big picture? And everyone was complaining about the same issues, but no one was doing anything about them. And so that was kind of how the Change the Game project was born and now we have a team of speakers. Three of us will actually be speaking at the convention and we travel all around the world doing parent education, coach education um, helping boards of directors and, and youth sports organizations across many sports just re- really tweak their mission a little bit and and, and and do what they do better.
1: The mission of the Changing the Game project is to ensure that we return youth sports to our children and put the, quote, play back in play ball. We want to provide the most influential adults in our children's lives, their parents and coaches, with the information and resources they need to make sports a healthy Positive and rewarding experience for their children and their whole family. I mean, just reading that, if that doesn't move you, then you're numb to what it's all about. And clearly, you said playing competitively for so long back in 2012 let's make a difference, right?
11: Yeah, and and I mean when you think about what youth sports uh, has become or let's just say youth soccer in, in so many instances it's not about the needs and the values and the priorities of the youth. I was just talking to a friend the other day who was a division 1 college athlete, you know, was telling me about his his 2007 daughter, right? So 9-year-old daughter who He's like she's played more soccer in a row the last 2 years than I ever did and and you know he was an all conference division 1 <laughs> soccer player you know and and it's just crazy and he lives in a part of the country where he's like you know and it this is just what everyone does and the coach asked me hey if um you know what what can I do to make this experience better and he's like maybe just schedule a little bit less like my daughter loves the team but you know, she's eight, she's nine, and she hasn't had a a break. You know, I had another coaching friend who had a team that age, an eight-year-old team, um, who tried to give his team a month off. And his coaching director told him, they've already had two weeks off. We have to get back to work. And the kids are eight. And it's crazy. You know, it's crazy.
1: When you go to changingthegameproject.com, it is the one-stop Shopping site for the latest and greatest information, research, and best practices regarding high performance, motivation, long-term athletic development, fitness, nutrition, college recruiting, and more. Here you will find resources, training, videos, and books that can help you become the best parent or coach a kid could ever ask for. It will help ensure that you do your part to make youth sports a wonderfully positive part of your child's physical, social, and cognitive education. Now, on Thursday at the convention, you, along with Eric Immler, who's been on this podcast already, Todd Bean, the founder of the TovO Academy in Barcelona, Brett Jacobs, head coach at Clark College, and Amanda Cromwell, who's also been with us before, the head women's coach at UCLA. What do you want to get done in that one hour? Because just like this interview, that's not enough time. Is
11: Right, exactly. I think we need about three hours for that panel. You know, the, all, all of us on that panel, you know, what we what we decided to discuss was basically looking at ages and stages of player development in, in this country. So starting with uh, a guy like Todd Bean, who's the son-in-law of Johan Cruyff and, and helped found the Cruyff Institute and is now working in Barcelona. And then what did they do differently in Spain? where they can just produce so many top world-class players and looking at the youngest ages working with a guy like eric Immler who was in residency with the u-17s and are the kids that age are they well prepared you know to to enter that environment and 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 what can we do with players at that age working with a guy like brett jacobs who you know won an mls cup with colorado as an assistant in a couple of pdl championships and now is a college coach and, and, you know, talking with him about, you know, that sort of 17 to 23 year old age group. Sometimes we write players off, you know, if they're not showing it then, but yet, yet, you know, we are, you know, there's so much development that can be done at those ages. Um, and, you know, and then we got, you know, Amanda Cromwell as well, the head women's coach at UCLA. who's was going to be on the panel and basically, talking about all this from the women's side as well. So in an hour, we're going to try to cram in everything that we see from the beginning stages of kids all the way through, you know, 23, 24. And, and what we can do as coaches on the player development pathway to ensure that we're not just focusing on the talent that shouts and screams But what about the talent that whispers? How do we make sure we don't miss kids? How do we create environments that create the right type of players and all that sort of stuff? So it's a really exciting panel, yeah, and I wish we we had multiple hours.
1: On your website, it says your children need your help and we will teach you how. How do you do that?
11: Well, you know, I, I think everyone needs something differently, and one of the ways that we really do that is I teach a lot of things, you know, through through analogy, and, and so we, we say sort of, if it's not okay here, why is it okay here? <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think I think that's something that I think a lot of people resonate with. I, I like to show a video of of my daughter at her first piano recital when she's seven years old, and. She's playing and she makes a mistake. And, and you know, I'll turn to an audience and say, now, how many of you were expecting her piano teacher to start yelling at her or the parents watching the recital to start going, oh, what's going on there? Uh, come on, Maggie, you're ruining the recital. And of course, everyone laughs and giggles. And, I, and then I compare it to the sideline of a seven-year-old soccer game where every kid's being told, run here, kick it, pass it, shoot, you know, and I'm like, you know, that's why do we think that's not helping?
1: <laughs> so looking at your background, you were a star player at Fordham. Then you played professionally at Wilmington. You started out in high school, ironically, at Cardinal Gibbons High School, where my son is a junior, making this world even smaller. Then you went on to coach at the University of Vermont before jumping into the world of youth club soccer, where you're a director of coaching and eventually an executive director at the Oregon Rush Club. You now live in Oregon. And clearly in 2012, you said, hang on. I'm going to change the game. I'm going to start this changing the game project. How's the progress been?
11: Well, we've grown really fast. I mean, our, our you know our our website gets about five million page views a year now, um, and just the amount of organizations that are bringing in our speakers to work with their clubs or their schools has just gone through the roof. And, and again, it's not just an American or a North American. Thing. I mean, I'm going to Singapore in, in February and been in England, I've been in Ireland. Uh, so it, it's it's something that I think a lot of countries across many sports are, are dealing with. And I think, you know, from day one, my goal was can we become a trusted resource, a resource that it wasn't just the information that we were putting out and that we were writing. And when we write blogs, you know, we link to research and stuff. So it's not just, you know, it might be our opinion, but it's based on this research. So go ahead, look up the research. We we try to find lots of other good information as well. So, you know, you take a guy like Eric Imbler who writes a great blog at Can't Pass, Can't Play, or Sky Bruce at com. We we share their stuff, too, because they're out there doing great work, and we just wanted to be this trusted hub for for, for good information. And it, so that's really, really, I, I think, worked out well because I think a lot of parents and a lot of coaches can come back to our site and say, okay, I need some information on this. Uh-huh, there's an article about it. There's some research links about it. So if they have a meeting with their coach or, or if, if a coach has a meeting with a coaching director and says, hey, I'm trying to do things this, this way and, and here's why I believe this is right, um, you know, they, they have something to stand on.
1: John O'Sullivan, the founder and CEO of the Changing the Game Project. The website is changingthegameproject.com. Wrapping it up, kind of going back to the original question, when you think about changing the game project, in just one or two sentences, what are we really trying to change, John?
11: (laughs) I think we're just trying to change the mentality of the adults who are involved in youth sports, whether they're coaches or administrators or parents, to just take a deep breath. And every time you're not quite sure where to go or what to do, you, you ask yourself, "How does this serve the kids?" And if it serves the kids well, you say, "Great, let's do it." But if you can't figure out the answer to "How does this serve the kids?", then maybe it's something that you shouldn't be doing.
1: Well, I love that answer, and I, I have fun now a little bit. Uh, my oldest son was a heck of a basketball player, and I realized his senior year when he was uh you know after 9 years of AAU basketball and kind of trying to find the right high school to continue uh that push uh that it really was you know all about me <laughs> and watching my son and he didn't really enjoy it as much and and that's that's not good right John
11: Yeah and and I mean you many parents come to that realization and and you know <laughs> Sadly, you know, we had many people who saw what Earl Woods did for Tiger and said, I'm going to do that for my kid. But for every Tiger, there's tens of thousands of kids who hate golf. Um, And so I think it's just as parents really helping our kids find the things that they're passionate about instead of trying to tell them what they should be passionate about and, and then supporting them in their journey. Because ultimately, you know, well, what's our job as a parent? Help our kids fall in love with the game. Just like you know, many of us fell in love with soccer, if I can help my kids fall in love with the game as much as I did, then they're going to play it enough and practice enough to actually be good at it. But if I don't do that, if they don't truly love it deep down, they'll never put in the time and effort and energy to, to actually be any good at it. So, so I focus on the love first, and then when I coach young kids, it's the same thing you know make them fans make them love the game help them follow the game around the world find some heroes find some role models and and i feel like that's my job
1: what a great way to end this special nsca convention podcast number two of four john o'sullivan founder and ceo of changing the game project i find it fascinating eric Immler told me i would and Boy, he understated that because, John, you are big time, man. I love what you're doing out there. I'm going to go to that session, and I think a lot of people will be. It'll be packed, I'm sure. Listen, congrats on what you're doing. This is really, really cool.
11: Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate the NSCA for bringing me back out to L.A. for the convention because it's such a great crowd and it's just a wonderful room. And for me, I I, I love the conventions because I learn so much. I I sit in the back of of many a room and ask questions and, and learn from all the attendees and all the great speakers. So I can't wait. I look forward to this every year.
1: A-plus, John O'Sullivan. Happy New Year to you. We'll see you in L.A. We'll see you soon. And we'll see all of you as well. I want to thank all of our guests. Ziggy Schmid, the legendary soccer coach. Jeff Van Dusen, the director for the NSCAA Events and Operations. All four candidates running for secretary of the NSCAA. All four brilliant people. Laura Harvey, head coach and general manager of the Seattle Reign of NWSL. Tim Baumstieg, the head coach of the UC Santa Barbara men's soccer team. And, of course, John O'Sullivan. For Lynn Berlin-Manuel, Sean Chevrolet, and everybody at the NSCAA, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for more NSCA Convention Talk right here on the NSCAA Podcast. When you
3: join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.
0: being a member of the NSCAA you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches here you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game The NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com.